Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 330th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that teaches all grasshoppers the patience needed to take the pebble from the bulk box. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering's finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, Cliff Daigle, a.k.a. Uh, Word of Commander on Twitter. My co-host this week is Travis Allen aka wizard bumpin on twitter and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game magic the gathering good evening clifford good evening everybody else uh glad to be here and looking forward to sharing some valuable information with all of you our show is produced by mtgprice.com the leading mtg finance community sign up today mtgprice.com to plan your specs chat on discord and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. mtg fast finance is proudly sponsored by cool stuff inc where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock including all the best in magic the gathering singles sealed product and a plethora of other collectibles please use the promo code finance5 that's finance with the number five during checkout at coolstuffinc.com to save five percent off your order and support this podcast Travis, uh, did you keep up on the Discord? There's a lot of people who are displeased with your disdain for a certain beloved Square Enix series. Mm-hmm. There is an expression. Oh here. boy! Oh boy! Wait, <clears throat> hold on. Let me sit down. All that right. Shouldn't I? That I probably shouldn't utter on the podcast. We're, I think we get the uh, the the tag for seventeen up. So if it's got a bad word, go for it. All right. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> garbage garbage game for garbage idiots and i said what i, I said stand by literally it. just did a spit take stand by i'm so glad so glad this is not a video podcast not on anymore so What's glad that? this is not a video podcast because quite frankly i just did a spit take <laughs> not on, i'm not on anymore i don't think <laughs> just a guest oh my god travis what are we going to talk about this week let's do something useful all right, uh, we have a show in four parts. You know, I just want to say, by the way, <clears throat> that I am often known for being critical of things. The hell you say. But but I am perfectly capable of being very appreciative of things that I think are very good. And just to, to provide a, a counterbalance here, I think that, for instance, Disco Elysium was a phenomenal experience. One of the best games I've ever played. Like so, there you go. Like I think Kingdom Hearts is trash, but Disco Elysium is perfect, and you should enjoy that. Uh, segment. Did you play that by the I way? Play, no, I I just made a note of it that I should go play it. It's fantastic. It's like somebody took all the worst parts of the old RPGs and got rid of them. It's like an isometric RPG, but there's no combat. It's just story and dialogue, and it's. So much better for having gotten rid of the Disco Elysium, like E-L-Y-S-I-U-M? It is, yep. Won about a zillion Game of the Year awards back in, I think, 2019. Um, Okay. MTGO Minigame Week in Review will be our second one, where we'll talk about the modern preliminary and a Pioneer Challenge. So kind of hitting both formats there. Segment two, our top paper movers. A short list this week. Looks like everybody slowed down their dragon buying. Segment, as well as our top MTGO movers. Segment three, cards to watch. Cliff's got some picks. I've got some picks. we got a listener pick, and James still called one in. So no shortage of options for all of you out there. 
And finally, segment four, our topic of the week, uh, waiting to buy cards. Should you, should you not? Given Cliff's cold open there, I think you'll have a sense of where this is headed. Uh, but why don't we get started here? The modern preliminary from just two days ago, taken down by Shardless Footfalls. And it seems like they have uh, included, what is this card called? Odawara. This is the cycle of legendary Odawara. lands that you can channel them to do some ability. Um, the green one, Boseju, it does a uh, naturalize, but then they get to go find a uh, basic land and put into play. Uh, not tapped, for the record, but you either... They come into play untapped, right? So these are just, like, free rolls. And the great thing about these is they don't count as spells. So if you're going to be cascading into Crashing Footfalls, you can play this one in a green, destroy target, artifact enchantment, or non-basic land. Its controller may search up a basic... You also have two of the Odawara, which uh, is a bounce spell. Um, three and a blue, discard this land to bounce target artifact creature, enchantment, or planeswalker. And that costs less if you have a legendary creature in play. Mm. That is a nifty ability. Any of those lands that have uh, functionality like that in these types of decks are so good. It really is. You know, It's a, a, a fun way to get around uh, the restrictions that the Cascade puts on you. Especially, like, this deck is playing uh, three Dead and Gone and four Fire Nice, which, um, were you paying attention when they changed the rules of Cascade and Split Cards? Oh, yeah, that was quite a few years ago. Oh, well, uh, I thought that was relatively recent, because you could Cascade into uh, Tybalt and get the Planeswalker, not Tybalt, yeah, Tybalt. Oh, that rule change. Yeah. Was that different? Uh yeah, because well, that you used to be able to cascade into, um, <clears throat> like back and call, right, and get the you can get one half. You know, you can cascade in the one and try to cast the other one. They changed that a few years ago, which made my like three hundred copies of back and call and uh, <clears throat> the other one that mills and reanimates creatures a lot worse. Then they changed it, like you said, again, because people were cascading into Valky, I think. or Valky, yeah. Valky who and, flips into Tibble. casting the Planeswalker side of it. Yeah. And they ate that one, too. Well, uh, this is a fun way to get around all that. So you've got some early interaction. And then on turn three, you are slamming down either your uh, Violent Outburst or your Crashing Footfall or your uh, Shardless Agent and getting two four fours. Just seems good, and then the next turn you do something else amazing. That's uh, it's a good way to do to do things. I think uh, second place is a sweet, sweet deck. It's um, it's all about um, flickering these uh, black and red cards to get uh, extra value instead of using white for ephemerate or uh, the other versions of that. It's using uh, the black cards for one one black mana. That do some kind of like return it to play with a 1-1 one, one counter or uh, it gains undying. You know, whichever it is that you're going to do. And so you get to flicker, you know, turn one, you play a swamp. You uh, do something to flicker a uh, grief, the thought seize elemental. And then you get the thought seize trigger and then you play one black and you cast it so that when it comes back, it, it will come back and you get a second thought seize trigger off of it. So you're just like ripping apart their hand, and you've got a five-five minutes in play, or I'm sorry, a four-three minutes in play. I was looking at Fury for a minute there. Yeah, that grief trick is so nasty. It's so good. It's so good. 
I like I remember that was I I was I'm still a little surprised that didn't take off as much uh you know all things considered I mean it's just it's just good you know you don't need to do too much with it uh this is also running 3 of the Dolphy Voidwalker which is a card I I just really want to be good cuz I love shadow cards for some dumb reason <laughs> This is a this is a nifty deck I don't think this was there was too much of this back I don't think this, they had quite figured this out back when I was still recording regularly. This is on the newer side, I think. Yeah, this is this is neat. I like seeing, uh, you know, you've got uh, several options for one mana spells for this. So um, it's really something I think we're going to see more of going forward. And we're going to see another cool reanimate deck a little later on. Um, third place was this awesome take on Thopter Sword. Uh, it's got the Emery, your Esper Sentinel, Stoneforge package, and an Urza Lord High Artificer going on with Urza Saga and uh, Thopter Foundry. Like, you can't go find Sword or Thopter Foundry with Urza Saga, thankfully. But <laughs> there's just so many other good things you can do in this stupid deck. And I especially like uh, a handy Metallic Rebuke, which is just going to get people out of nowhere. You can't find the combo pieces, but you can find like literally everything else the deck is trying to do. It's pretty much it. Thop- yeah, Thopter Founder is another one that hadn't quite taken root uh, a couple months ago, but it looks like they've they've got a little closer to figuring out how to make this work. Yeah, there's a lot of good graveyard hate out there, so it's really tricky to like keep bringing stuff back and forth, you know? I see this has Iganjo in it too, so it seems like those Kamigawa lands have really made their uh, presence known in the format that wasn't the case before, um, or they were still too so new. This one deals four to attacking or blocking creatures, I see. Yeah. Interesting. So you just, especially with the, um, you know, three Emery and three Urza, you know, the Iganjo ability and the Ottawara ability are cheaper, which is just icing on the cake when you've got a land that comes into play untapped. You know, you're literally giving up nothing to play some of these. Yeah, getting Emery down make, and making that cheaper is pretty nifty. They've got Cauldra Complete in the main. People are playing that. Yeah, Cauldra Complete is is really the... Uh, people aren't playing as much of the um, Batter Skull as you might think. One of the... Yeah, I mean, Batter Skull... I mean, I I don't know. I'm, I'm going to try and refrain from offering opinions about what is and isn't good in a format that I haven't played in years. Fair enough. They, I do see they're running one of my favoritely named cards, which is uh, Portable Hole. That's All right, I'll buy it. Why is that a favorite that, name of yours? Just, I don't know, you say it out loud. If you say that card name out loud, it sounds like you're saying something dirty. <laughs> yeah, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll roll with you on that. I teach high school. You, I, I get it. You don't think so? I think that uh, if you think it's dirty, it's dirty. That's that's okay. that's why I tell my students like you can say any word you want, and if you're thinking dirty things, bro, you are thinking dirty things. Okay. Well, that's that's my read on a portable hole. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, fourth place was a blue red uh, Merktide Regent deck. Pretty straightforward. It's got four Ledger Shredder. That card you need. You're if you're playing blue, you really need a reason not to be playing this. It does a whole lot of really good things. And uh, this one, notably, uh, is playing four Unholy Heat and three Archmage's Charm. I didn't think the Charm was going to be good because you could only pick one mode. But turns out, it's really good. I, I was I was wrong to doubt the card. 
Yeah, this is uh, – I did a double take when I first saw this because I saw this pop up. at a, I was looking at something else. I was like two mana flyer that draws you – realistically draws you a card almost every turn. Like almost certainly – almost certainly draws you a card every one of your turns and may draw them on your opponent's turns. I mean Dark Confident was a two mana 2-1 two who didn't fly, so he had difficulty getting in frequently. And – Guaranteed to draw you a card every turn, but you are paying a lot of life for it. This is less reliable, but you are not paying for that card draw at all. And you can potentially get upside in your opponent's turns. This feels, I mean, I know that you guys already did your whole new Capenna review, but as someone who didn't pay too close attention at the time and is looking at this now, this feels Dark Confidant-ish for sure. Well, you heard it here first, folks. It is the new Dark Confidant. I mean, like, the magic is different than it used to be. Right. So, so, you know, I'm not claiming that it's, oh, geez, this is a $20 promo, huh? Apparently, I'm not the only one who knows thinks this card is decent. What, Ledger Shredder? A card. A, ledger, a borderless Ledger Shredder. Ledger Shredder. I realize you, you weren't paying attention because of, like, everything going on in the world, and that's totally valid. Ledger Shredder is mm-hmm. one of our biggest misses financially that we'll have had in the last, like, three years. You could get this card for, like, under a buck release weekend. And it was just oh. like flew upward. Pardon the bird pun. Was this? A, I did see somebody make a comment on social media. They're like, "Has I couldn't remember the card." And when I finally got around to thinking, when I was thinking about it, it was too late. But they said something like, "Was there? When was the last time we had a card that was missed as hard as Ledger Shredder was?" But it, and I couldn't remember what card he was talking about. But this must have been it. I'm pretty sure I tweeted that. I might have. I, I'm, I don't. I don't doubt that you did. I remember seeing a pro mention it because, oh. like, PV responded to him. Oh yeah, no. That's what. Nobody that's what I remember. I remember PV, yeah, I remember PV talking to him about it. But okay, this is that card. This is that card. That's all right. That's really <laughs> okay. Can I just say that's really funny that like I basically didn't look at Nuka Pena at all, right? And I come back and I look at this card and I go, "Wow, this seems like almost dark confidant levels. This card seems phenomenal." And you're like, "Oh yeah, it turns out absolutely nobody thought this card was good at release weekend." Well, it's we like, thought it was. Damn, damn. <laughs> We thought only it was I, decent. Only had stayed on for like two more months. <laughs> Man, we thought it was it was good, but we didn't think like, holy crap, this is going to be a twenty dollar card. Like while the set is still being opened, you know, it takes yeah. a whole lot for like a regular ra- like this thing. If you look at um, the regular copies, like regular copies, nothing special, not borderless, not foil, are nineteen dollars, yeah. and for an imprint rare. It has been a very long time since there's been an in-print rare at twenty dollars. Uh, yeah, I would agree. I would. I, I agree. I mean, that's that is standard tier one standard staple, but also it's here we like, are in modern. Yeah, another form like basically tier one of another format staple. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I ever would have pegged it at twenty dollars. I probably would have said to buy it under a dollar and then sell if it gets up to five. See, um, that's what I'm saying. We we missed. We missed hard. Well, that wouldn't. That, I mean, if I had said, "Hey, buy these at a dollar and sell them when they get to five, I and I wouldn't consider that a miss. It'd be like, okay, this would just end up being even better than I realized. But I can't pat my own back here because obviously <laughs> this all happened out of sync with the time. But uh, I do find it amusing that you get everyone. Th- this was remarkable for the entire Magic community missing it at first, and I took one look at it and went, "This looks excellent." Well, you should have never stepped away then. I clearly think I could have made tens of dollars flipping these at four bucks each. Um, 
we in fifth place in this modern challenge we had this sweet uh black red reanimator uh indomitable creativity list um the whole point of this uh deck is to get archon of cruelty into play at your latest turn four at your earliest i don't think you can do this on turn two uh yeah you can't do a turn two one but you can do it uh you can get into play on turn three because you have to uh either unmark grave it into play you've got to use tainted indulgence or prismari command to uh draw and discard it and then you just uh you're either going to persist it and put into play with a minus one minus one counter or you're going to use um our uh indomitable creativity to turn one of your random tokens into an archon it also plays four copies of fable of the mirror breaker i i really like this deck's plan because it just has one sweet ass creature and archon of cruelty is ridiculously sweet that just wants to get in play over and over again and just keep it up. Wait, maybe it was Fable the Mirror Breaker that they were talking about. Could have been Fable. We Fable was something that we, we saw was really good, but we didn't know it would be this expensively good. Ledger Shredder was just a huge miss, though. I think maybe I think it might have been Fable Breaker, Mirror the Fable and the Mirror Breaker, because I had to stop and look when this popped up. I was like, obviously this is a kiki-jiki thing, but I don't know in what what context... So you create a 2-2. Two, two. On turn 3, you get a 2-2 two, two that when it attacks, you get a treasure token. Uh-huh. On the next turn, you get to filter 2 cards. You, you rummage 2. You discard 2, and then you get to draw 2. Rum, rummage 2. And then you get the non-hasty tapper kiki-jiki. Oh, because it flips. That's right. Yeah. But it, it does it become just like actual kiki-jiki, you have essentially? To, you have to pay a mana, and he doesn't have oh. haste. Well, the, the lack of haste doesn't matter, right? Because if you're transforming it, it's fine. Yeah, but it it's, it's not it's not summoning sick. But you have to pay a mana to do it. It is summoning. The reflection of Kiki Jiki does come into play with summoning sickness. The token it makes does not have summoning sickness, but you can't like flip this with a, um, a Deceiver Exarch in play and instantly win. That doesn't work, even if you had the mana. Oh, ex- oh! So the last step is exile it, then return it. Transformed. Yeah, okay. Exile so it leaves back. play. I was, I was thinking it was just trans. I, I didn't realize. I forgot that transform removes it from the battlefield. Not always. Um, the the sagas that transform generally do, and some of them do come into play with haste. But this particular one does not. Huh. And this is that good. Interesting. This is that. This is uh, good enough to be uh, a. A nine dollar in print, uh, ten dollar card. Even though you know Neon Dynasty just ended a couple of months ago, that I don't quite get. Like the the Ledger Shredder power, I see this one. I what? Why is this so good? What are people doing with it? All kinds of things. Like it in in this particular deck, it's not only give like it gives you value like two and a red for a two two that when it attacks it gives you a treasure. That's a way of getting ahead a mana for next turn, if you really want to get to five mana on turn four. Um, but the combination of uh, the rummaging and the value, like there's been decks in modern that are just looking to copy all kinds of value. You know, if you, uh, for instance, if you had copies, you have copies of this in um, in the deck, we t- the, the one we talked about earlier with the Fury and Grief and Croxa, all of those, if your fable has flipped, 
like you can uh, copy those tr- those evoke creatures and do some ridiculous things. Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose I suppose what you're really getting here is is all three parts of this card are useful. Right. The ability to generate a treasure token, at least one treasure token, is solid. Especially if you if you get more than one attack phase with it, it seems very good. It's it's mediocre ramp that couldn't get better. The rummaging is very functional in decks that um, need a discard outlet, which again, I mean, like a deck like this obviously does. And then on top of that, yeah, this the ability to copy the creatures is fine. Okay, I think I can make sense of that. You guys get to watch me learn about uh, Kamigawa and Nukapena on the fly here as we go. It's cool. Uh, let's see, where were we? That was sixth place. Seventh place is a straightforward Hammer Time deck. Uh, this is uh, like all the Hammer Time. Like all of the Hammer Times, it's running one reality chip, just a miser card to go find with your Stoneforge Mystic, and it just makes everything so dang good. Um, eighth place was a uh, sweet blue-white control deck. This is not a Yorion deck. It is a Kahira deck. Um, so because it actually has only one real creature, Kahira is just a free roll and you can have it in there, but it's everything you'd expect. It's got a Planeswalker package focused on three mana Teferi. Only one Wandering Emperor. Usually these decks tend to have two or three, but at 60 cards, you got to be a little more uh, tricky. And this one has uh, main deck two Chalice of the Void, which I'm imagining got played at, um, at one a whole bunch because you can't Chalice for zero and prevent the elementals. So, hmm. but you've got four Prismatic Ending, two March of Otherworldly Light, just a really solid removal package, and a Miser Shark Typhoon. I don't, I, I always feel bad about the Singleton Shark Typhoon, because I really want to cycle it at like X equals one or two to get the card and get the creature, but I really want to have that ability to lay down the enchantment and just say, you are so dead now. <laughs> now that's me. Yeah, I mean, that's that's tempting. I don't doubt that. Uh, let's see. Then over in Pioneer, which is a format we're we are caring about, uh, first place was a blue-red Arclight Phoenix deck. Uh, had four Ledger Shredders and just every bit of, like, draw, 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 playing two Temporal Trespass if you want to delve something for eight mana away and get your extra turn on. Treasure Cruise, which is still amazingly Pioneer legal. Uh, you got your pieces of the... Oh, yeah. Is that... It is. Uh, so is Dig Through Time for now. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's missing, like, a ton of the enablers, right? So that's kind of the... Well, even, like, the the uh, Thought Scour, which is modern legal, we, we didn't see that in the uh, the Merktide decks before. So it's not all in on milling yourself and delving yourself that quickly. But when you're playing, uh, you know... 17 spell i'm sorry uh 15 spells that cost one mana along with um all of your fun strategic planning and temporal test like strategic planning is just like draw one mill two and it's great it's everything you wanted Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. this one's got a plan it's going to do that plan and how stupid good is ledger shredder with arc like phoenix I mean, you're just, like, you're drawing the extra spells that you need. You're discarding the Arclights. Oh, look, they're all attacking you. I adore this stupid deck. That is uh, that is some blue-red 
tempo right there. And you've got another blue red uh, arc light <clears throat> deck in second place, uh, doing similar things. Oh, I wait. I just. I'm sorry. I just noticed this deck is playing temporal trespass. Like I missed that at first. Yeah, that's that's why I said you take some extra turns. Delve eight cards. Why, man? Pioneer is really all over the place here. Well, uh, this particular second place deck uh, decided for the thing in the ice, whereas um, it did not want to play any ledger shredders, which is a choice that landed in the second place. But like I imagine, the in you know when they played in the finals, that the ledger shredder in the in the main <clears throat> was probably just like, oh snap, good game. Yeah, I mean, I would expect to play thing in the ice. I could see playing thing in the ice and ledger shredder, honestly. But then again, I don't know. Try and refrain from commenting on format strategy. (laughs) (laughs) Seems uh, presumptuous of me. Well, uh, third place was a a blue-white spirit deck uh, featuring the triumphant return of Spellqueller in the main, something that we hadn't seen a lot of lately. Uh, Also notable for uh, three Empyrean Eagle, uh, which is a bird spirit giving all your stuff with flying, plus one, plus one. And now your uh, Mausoleum Wanderer is good for not just a Force Spike, it's good for a full-on Mana Leak. So, you know, get some work done there. Also with uh, Collected Company, because that's basically free in a deck like this. We, you're only splash, splashing one color. Like Pioneer's got some back. cool stuff going on. Back again. <laughs> uh, fourth place is a Black Red Food deck. Looks like it's taken fourth and fifth. Got Obnixilis, the adversary the anniversary uh god there are a lot of cards words on this card it is unreadable on the it is, wizards I, it, it really is um have you played any capenna limited travis uh no all right no, this no. thing is a it's a house because it's three mana planeswalker you can sacrifice a creature when you cast it if you do you get a copy of obnix list that has uh, counters on it equal to the power of the creature you sacrificed so imagine how good that is with claim the firstborn because you're stealing their thing and then you're playing a planeswalker and you're getting a whole second planeswalker out of it uh then you're <laughs> uh, then the the abilities work really well together uh you plus one and each opponent loses two life unless they discard a card and then if you have a demon or a devil which handily uh mayhem devils in the deck uh you get to gain two life and so you're just ripping their hand apart left and right and if you get to minus seven, then you're going to make the target player draw seven and lose seven. So you've got uh, Blood Tithe Harvester, Cauldron Familiar, Mayhem Devil, Unlucky Witness, all these to go with four Claim the Firstborn and four Witches Oven. So you're just putting things in and out of the graveyard. Uh, and you're playing two Fable of the Mirror Breaker. So you've got all this goodness going on. And it's just really hard to argue with so much value here. What do blood tokens do again? Uh, you set, discard a card and draw a card. You have to pay a mana, and then you uh, discard a card and you draw a card. So you turn two blood tide harvester, turn three obnixila sacrifice the blood tithe, blood tithe, and get two of these guys, and then plus one them both. So they discard. They discard they two. Lose four, discard two, or, and you have two four power planeswalkers on turn three. That is correct. <laughs> That's a beat. It is. Uh, this is also a Gigantha deck. You get to play this companion for free uh, because nothing in here has a double mana cost. I don't know what uh, what website you can use where you plug your deck in. It tells you what companions you're available for, but 
you know, you can just free roll a 5-5 in your 8th card in your in hand. You know, it's uh, 8 mana for your 5-5, but it doesn't take anything away aside from one sideboard slot. Yeah, three, you got a throw 3 mana, you get to draw Jengatha. Hmm. Uh, I really like the uh, take in the uh, the fifth place deck. It throws one makeshift munitions in there to give you some way to just start tossing around artifacts and creatures. Like you turn your food tokens into pingers, and you're you're really gonna do some fun things. But these are you know hmm. these are choices that everybody gets to make. Uh, sixth place is the sweet heroic uh, red white heroic deck that we talked about uh, last week. Just all these one and two drop creatures that either want you to target them, or it's Dreadhorde Arcanist who lets you replay the spells that you cast, and you're dead on like turn four. You know, you have no, if you don't do anything useful to these creatures immediately, it is GG, buddy. Mm -hmm. Oh, another free Gigantha deck, this one here. It's got 18 land, and it's going to play a five mana, uh, (laughs) stupid. I, I'm really. Some of these companions are just. Uh, they're just in there for the free roll, and I, I'm not against it too much, but it, it does irk me just a little. Uh, seventh place. Well, you were going to say something? No. Okay. Seventh place is a fun uh, blue red. I'm sorry, black red value deck. This one's got four Fable of the Mirror, Mirror Breaker to go with Blood Tithe Harvester, Graveyard Trespassers. Kalitas's, Croxes, and Tenacious Underdogs. You're just getting all kinds of good value off Fable the Mirror Breaker here. Tenacious Underdogs, like a, a free discard. And you're playing fun stuff like Cut to Ribbons, Dread Boars, Thought Seizes, and just trying to value them out. Soren the Mirthless is just going to um, keep you drawing cards, and Chandra is just really good. Torch of Defiance has never really been bad. She's just been unpopular sometimes. And then... Yeah. Go ahead. I was just, I'm just browsing the list. This one seems kind of generic. Yeah. Just vampires. And then uh, eighth place is a sweet 80-card uh, Yorion uh, Fires of Invention deck, which uh, is just trying to do all kinds of ridiculous thing here. You've got uh, singletons all over the joint except for four Risen Reef because you really just want to increase the number of cards in your hand so you can play them all. Plus... This is running a playset of Enigmatic Incarnation to let you go uh, sacrifice your stuff like Omen of the Forge and Omen of the Sea to go find all these sweet three drops that are in your deck and just chain your way up on uh, different... uh, Excuse me, chain your way up up the uh, casting costs because some of what you're going to go find are uh, enchantment creatures. So you sacrifice your Spirited Companion... And you get to go put uh, Knight of Autumn into play. And your Moonblessed Cleric is going to now go find your uh, Fires of Invention. It's just a lot of really delightful synergies here. And on an 80-card Yorion deck, you're going to do some really cool things. I always love seeing how they bump it up to 80 cards. The um, Enigmatic Incarnation is interesting in a deck like this because it gives it that main deck toolbox. I like that. With Deputy Detention, I don't want a Rhetoric, the Mimic I'm seeing, Night of Autumn. Yeah, there's a couple of different options in here. That's clever. It really is. Uh, I like that. It's a cool little deck. I would probably be inclined to play something like this if I was playing Pioneer. If I could, if it, although uh, I, I I take that back. I would be inclined to play this, but what I would actually play is the like Black Grad 
reanimate deck that tries to put some stupid shit into play on turn two because because uh, i know who i am uh, that's good <laughs> you should know who you are and you should you should lean into that travis our top movers of the week like you said at the top of the show um a lot of the top movers this week are people being crazy with um double masters two and we're going to talk about that uh the first one i want to mention was cavalier of thorns the non-foils out of m20 so there's no uh, extended arts. There's no uh, special versions. Just the regular ones have gone from about 16 to 22. It's a very popular card in Pioneer, and people are playing like three to four copies, so it's going to be really good. Uh, Foil Days Undoing out of Magic Origins has gone from around 53 to 85. It's got a lot of applications in uh, Commander. You see it occasionally in Pioneer Modern. You want to play it next to a Narset and just make everybody cry. You've got uh, Steel Golem Foils from 10th edition that uh, have gone for about a double up from 675 to 13 and a half. Uh, like many cards, it's a really niche card for John Arenicus. <laughs> it is four mana, right? That's what you're giggling because you can't cast creatures. Three. three mana. Three. You can't because cast I've creatures. Seen this card, I, I've seen this card a bunch, and it's just been. I mean, it was playable in Weatherlight, maybe, maybe, which was like 1999. Three mana for a three four is a big deal back in the day. <laughs> then they plant. Then they print John Arenicus, and it's like, guess what? This is good, and it's just like, wow. All right. I mean, somebody out there might pay 12, 12 bucks for this foil, so that's kind of funny. Uh, Hibis of the Scale is another one going back here. Uh, a reserveless card from Mirage. Uh, five mana, three four. Uh, you gain control of a dragon. Oh, yeah, we talked about this last week, right? You gain control of a dragon and you can keep it. But that's, uh, eh. I mean, it's reserve list, so, like, fine, I guess. But you should not play really sideboard cards, especially something like that in EDH. And then the, oh, the that was a non-foil from two and change, just under $3, up towards over seven. Um, so it's anti-dragon attack, mostly reserve list aspect. But the winner of the week here is Gateway Plaza out of uh, Ravnica... New Alliance, New Legion? Ravnica Allegiance, yes. Ravnica Allegiance, which is the foils a dollar fifty to four fifty, so like a triple up uh, from the new, the new, the updated Gates Matters EDH deck because it is yet another gate, uh, and they like they like their gates. We we do like our gates, and you know whenever you can see, uh, this is common, isn't it? Yes, yeah, it is. So you know if you can dig up your. Uh, four dollar com- foil commons you should uh deploy those as needed uh there's also a um the the ravnica allegiance copies are out there but this was also uh, available in guilds of ravnica and war of the spark so keep an eye on those too uh yep sounds like a good plan online uh some of these cards are going to sound familiar uh, Obnixilis, uh went up uh, just a ticket and a half uh, based on its top finishes, so keep an eye on where that is. Uh, it's up to about 17 tickets, and if it that deck takes off in Pioneer, uh, you might really get some uh, some high prices there. Roiling Vortex out of Zendikar uh, Rising, uh, the one in a red enchantment. Uh, if no mana was spent to play a spell, that player takes five damage, I think, is how that goes, which seems like some awesome awesome anti-elemental sideboard tech yeah at the beginning of each player's upkeep it deals one damage to them whenever a player casts a spell if no mana was spent vortex deals five damage to that player and for a red 
your opponents can't gain life this turn. So that's a fun sideboard card that has gone from uh, 7 tickets to 9 tickets. Den of the Bugbear, the red animate land from Adventures in the Forgotten Realms, has gone from 21 tickets to 26. Hall of the Storm Giants has gone from 14 tickets to almost 20. The creature lands from Adventures in the Forgotten Realm, needing only one color, can come into play untapped if you play them early. They're proving to be very good. But the uh, big winner this week is Unlicensed Hearse from Streets of New Capenna. <clears throat> has gone up to 46 tickets, started this week at 32 tickets. This is just an incredibly popular sideboard card. Everybody wants to play a couple of these because it's not only good at dealing with your opponent's graveyard, it will give you a big, beefy creature to play with. Who doesn't love a big, beefy creature? I have a well-documented love of big, beefy creatures. So... Equal to the number of cards exiled with yep. it. Yep. So, so the first time you're only getting a two-two basically. But you can use it the turn it comes into play. Yeah. So you eat you eat the turn it comes into play. You eat two. You can even and you can even be funny as you can crew with it, block as a two-two, then eat two creatures and turn it into a four-four. Very good defensive card. Yes. Yeah, that's clever. Uh, I did see that card pop up. It sure is. Uh, sure is unlicensed. <laughs> now is a good time to remind you all about the Cool Stuff Inc. Customer Rewards Program. The more you buy with our 5% off coupon Finance 5, the closer you get to even higher rewards, including up to 15% off Magic Singles and Assorted Minis. Head on over to CoolStuffInc.com today to build your loyalty and save big. Uh, I love some of these picks, Travis, and I am eager to talk. Do you want to start or shall I? Uh, your name's first on the list, so you should start. Okay, I'll start. Uh, Garuk's Uprising in a Showcase Foil from uh, Magic 2021. Uh, this card is in 70,000 Commander decks already online. It's one of the top cards for a Dragon deck. Uh, I've got it in uh, actually multiple Commander decks of mine, and it's just one of those cards where it just lets you chain cards together. You're just like, oh, here's a beefy creature. Oh, look, I drew another beefy creature. Sweet. Oh, you know what my beefy creatures already have? Now they have Trample, too. It doesn't even penalize you if you draw it late, because you get to draw a card if you already control a beefy creature. And right now, you can get these showcase foils for about $1.50. Uh, I'm picking them to go to $5 in the next 12 to 18 months. It is an uncommon, but even with the numbers out there, like, you're selling four to five copies a day. Uh, I bought three play sets of this card when it came out really early. I freely admit I got in too early. I'm at $3 a copy. And so, like, if it gets to five, I'll be thankful to get out at a, a profitable margin here. But um, given the amount of things this is good with, I think this is a solid card that people should pick up while it's super cheap. Garrick's Uprising. So we are looking at the foil showcase version. Mm -hmm. the, uh, the the shiny, uh, Bernie-looking one. And that's the, like, it's got that really green-drenched showcase from M21, right? right? Yeah. That is interesting looking. And, I mean, it's an uncommon, so you're not, I don't see you getting a better version of this. You're not going to get, like, a, I mean, I guess, I guess they, they print, like, borderless they, copies of uncommons now occasionally? Occasionally they do. But, you know, this is what we got for this particular one because they were trying to highlight uh, one card from each color, I think. And you. Yeah, 
Yeah, I'm just trying to think, of, like, is it even possible to get a borderless one? And I suppose it is, but it seems like a bit of a shot, a long shot for that to happen. This is 70,000 X on EDH, right? That is correct. It's a lot of copy on a Dex. Sorry, I'm just I'm poking around here. No, poke around. This is this is the this is what the audience comes here for. Is to yeah. There's I mean, you've got 80 vendors, and I mean a good amount of supply on a several different spots here. Um, but that's not a death knell. It just means your your time frame gets pushed out more. I think yeah. I think 12 to 18 months, maybe or uh, yeah. I mean maybe on the later end of that, that might be a slightly aggressive timeline. Just because there's, it looks like there's a solid chunk of copies out there. But if it starts to pick up steam, you might see the uh, drain out a little bit faster. But I do like the card quite a bit. It's very useful. All right, I can uh, I can respect that. <laughs> but but at a, at a dollar fifty, yes, I I really like it at a dollar fifty. Uh, yeah, five dollars is a really easy target for that to hit, especially with that many decks. Uh, yeah, yeah. Your your pick is something that I'm always annoyed I didn't move in on. Uh, earlier i had the i had the tab for this card open on my phone like uh <laughs> for for i could do not probably two months and i just never got around the buying it and then i think it doubled and i was like damn but i still think it's good uh okay i should probably tell you what the card is right yeah so my two picks this week are just super staples um like it's sta- like th- to me they're like just staple edh cards they're not anything terribly fancy or exciting but i think that they're really solid um and likely to be reliable here. The first one is Academy Manufacturer. And for those of you who don't remember, Academy Manufacturer is the artifact that create, doubles your clue, food, and treasure tokens. Oh, uh, uh, that's not quite right. You don't make an extra one. Whenever you would make one of those, you get oh, one oh, of yes. each of them. So Yes, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. If you would create any clue, food, or treasure, you get one of each. Disappointing they didn't include blood on there, but... Uh, Clue, food, or treasure, you get one of each. So you make one token, you get three instead. Uh, Very nifty ability. They are pushing all three of these reliably. Treasures become huge. Food and clue are both uh, basically evergreen at this point. It's going to keep pumping stuff out. And every time they release a set with uh, a mini emphasis on any one of those, this will get a bump in utility and a bump in in purchases now this price did move already so if we roll back to a full year timeline uh the non-foil so i'm looking at the borderless copies here the non-foil copies were sitting around four bucks or so from like last september up through this march and then it looks like around april or may which i think is right around the time i left i don't remember the they jumped from four up to about nine bucks so they've already eight or nine bucks they've already gone through about a double on these borderless copies but i still like them uh i mean it's in academy manufacturer is in thirty thousand decks uh which in one year in one year this has been put in the thirty thousand list on eda track it's just people are going to keep playing this over and over and over again we know that wizards is behind the clue food and treasure token market uh so you've got a good chunk of inventory out there 173 vendors no shortage of people selling this card for the most part cart part the supply on any vendor isn't too deep mtg mint has eight somebody else here has 17 i think gaming co had like 24 or something um maybe so but everyone else is like ones and two so there's a supply but it's not 
I mean, like I'm not scrolling down and seeing someone with 800 copies, which we've seen before, uh, but you're not going to sell this out in the next in the next six months either. But with how frequent this shows up uh, and Wizards commitment to the theme, I mean, if you're buying these at eight or nine bucks, I think you might see 15, even maybe $20 pretty easily come, you know, a year ish, maybe a year and a half. This is completely reasonable. I mean, it's it's leveled out, so it's ready to, to hop again when they give us something that's uh, ridiculous. Like, can you imagine uh, hitting this with the um, whichever ancient dragon you roll a d20 and you make that many treasure tokens? Or with old Gnawbone? So you hit mm-hmm. somebody for seven and you get seven treasures, seven clues, and seven food. Like, that's just uh, something I want to exploit the hell out of. And this is also really good with, um, we talked about this uh, one of the times that James was uh, raving about Jenny Faye, because if you would make one uh, clue or treasure or food, if you have manufacturer in play, instead you make three, and because of Jenny Faye, they come into play as either two twos or three ones. So you've got some really great synergies, and it's colorless, so it goes in everything. Uh, I'm with you on this. I think that 750 ish is a really good buy-in price for the non-foils and um you've got excellent velocity on these as well so yeah i'm i'm with you i i think that this is probably not going to get a reprint anytime soon like double masters would have been the perfect time to throw this in we did get some modern horizons uh cards but you know, unless it pops up in a secret layer tomorrow, I think this is going to uh, a really solid pick. Nifty. Uh, okay, what do you got for us? I got uh, Hullbreaker Horror out of the um, the double feature version in foil because Hullbreaker Horror is in uh, how many decks did I put down? Hullbreaker Horror is already in twenty thousand decks uh, online as a finisher. And in case you forgot what it does, it's 7 mana, 5 blue blue for a 7-8 Kraken Horror, which are two creature types that have gotten some love lately. It's got flash, can't be countered, and whenever you cast a spell, you do up to one of these things. Bounce target spell you don't control to its owner hand, or return target non-land permanent. So uh, it turns every one of your instants into a remand, except you don't draw a card. And you just get to do it at the end of the turn, and it can't be countered, so you're just laughing at everybody uh, as they hold on to their counter spells. Like, I can handle whatever you do. And like, no, you can't. So, uh, yes. the double feature foils, uh, we know how rare those are. And these are, uh, right now, you can get the double feature foils for right around, uh, let me look exactly. Uh, you're looking at around 60 to 63. There are 10 vendors. <clears throat> one of whom has 13 and everybody else has one copy. So it's going to be re it's a really quick uh, ramp up to 80 and from there I'm picking it to hit $100 within the next 12 uh 6 to 12 months. Yeah, this card is first of all not all of us know how rare that card is. You should oh. you should tell me how rare it is. Sure. Um so double feature, uh do you remember the deal with double double feature? I remember it existing. Right. So because it was basically it was exactly uh, the last two sets just kind of mashed together. Um, yep. Everything is... Uh, not only was it opened less, but uh, it is also um, harder to pull individual uh, foils from that set. So um, we don't have like extended art 
in double feature. So let me see exactly how many rares there were. Oh, so this is just the yeah. There's there's 130 the rares. Silver version. So it's it's hard to pull these uh, double feature um, foils because they're silver screen and they look really cool. I don't know if you've uh, had a chance to mess with these, but um, I've got a few of these uh, double feature foils and assorted decks, and they just look really awesome. They do really well with the silver screen foil. And because you've got double the rares and double the, the mythics, these were very difficult pulls to, to grab out of the this particular set. So um, they're hard to find, and that's why nobody has more than one except for the gaming company who must have pulled a couple of pallets somehow. Who, like gaming company, normally does open a zillion copies? They usually do, yes. Zillion boxes. Um... Yeah, I mean, this is obviously, uh, I mean, I remember when this card was released, I really liked it because it's an upgrade on uh, generic blue finisher. <laughs> yeah, no, but uh, Tidebreaker Tyrant, that's what it was. An upgrade on Tidebreaker Tyrant, who was an EDH staple back when EDH was still called EDH. Right. And it was an awesome card, and this is just a better version straight up and down, basically. And if these, I mean, these foils, well, the foils are $65. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, uh, if 65 you know, makes you flinch now, how much are you going to flinch when it's, you know, 80 or or 100 Yeah, I mean, it is it is expensive. Uh, but that doesn't mean it's a bad idea. Um, the card, if, if the card is as rare as you're telling me it is, so, and I and I don't have no reason to not believe you, um, I mean, it's a, it's a good card that's popular in EDHC, solid play, and it's not going... You're not going to get more copies of these out there, and I'm going to guess that the silver screen version was thing was uh, probably not terribly popular, was it? Well, it, the problem is that the um, while the silvering looks really good, um, the frame itself, like they use the same art, and it kind of washes everything out some. So it's not the most popular, but it is by far the most rare treatment you can get for the cards from uh, Innistrad of Hunt or Val. Yeah, yeah, but I guess, but the set in general wasn't all that popular, right? Nope. Um, uh. it, it was on a, a an accelerated release cycle, and because it is literally everything smashed together, you it was not a very popular uh, draft environment, and so not a lot of it has gotten opened. Yeah. No, I think I mean it's a, it's a price tag for sure, but that doesn't necessarily scare me away with something like this because it's both good and. An, an unpopular set that wasn't open that much and there wasn't that much supply of it to begin with. Uh, so I think I do, I do think that the price may catch people off at first glance, but I mean, yeah, I can definitely see this at a hundred or even more pretty easily. Um, and you're going to be like, wait, this is this version of this card is how much? Because it's just probably quite so rare. So that's cool. This is a good catch. And I'm glad to, to know about these. Cause I remember the set coming out, um, but I didn't, really pay much attention to it i think this was again right in that that time period so uh this is nifty this is nifty and i would probably go looking for this version too most likely i think if i were to go buy one i mean that's what you want to do right you want the sweetest version for your for your commander deck that is the way i played nowadays i'm not even sure that's a reasonable goal for many people mostly because a there's a zillion sweet versions and there's no longer a right a right one, but also there's so many and you have so many decks and I don't know. Uh, then again, that may just be like you get old and you're like, I don't have the ability. I, 
I don't have the energy to care about this anymore. <laughs> That's also true. Like, I'm just going to pick a card. I'm just going to grab a card and play with it. Who cares? Uh, interesting. Okay. My second pick for the week, another staple, something just straightforward and probably a little obvious. Uh, and I think was talked about before by James, but I think this was back in August. I think I, you guys might've mentioned both of the, these cards. Both of mine might've gotten mentioned in the past, but I think they were back in, they were last year for sure. And it might've been, uh, I think it was August of last year, like for both of them. But this one is Circle of Dreams Druid. This is the Gaia Cradle creature um, that uh, you tap for green for every creature you control. Uh, I'm looking at the borderless non-foil copies. Uh, this is in 24,000 decks right now, which is 5% of all green decks, which to me is pretty wild given like that the card is relatively new, right? And it's in that many card decks. Uh, <clears throat> but it is definitely setting up to be a long-term staple. We know how popular um, Gaius Cradle has been, right? Like, it's, you know, one of the banners of the format, right? And this is a, a creature that does the same thing when it's arguably more abusable. So non-foil borderless copies, which I, I like because they're, they, they really emphasize the art. They look good on a table. They're cool, but they are going to be approachable from players who don't like foils, but also people who do like just good looking cards. I think the non-foil borderless are, are going to be a good, good landing spot for a lot of people. Yeah. 24,000 decks, 5% of green decks. I think you're going to see this in EDH for a very long time to come. The supply again is pretty healthy. We're looking at 170 vendors for the borderless non-foils uh, against scrolling through gaming. MTG has 20. Gaming Co. has 22, which I actually like seeing Gaming Co. at 22 because that's... If Gaming Co. has 22, then I'm not expecting a huge volume anywhere else. Right. I see this other company... I see MTG Rares has 60, which is which is a bit uh, for sure. But in general, I think that, um, again, both of these are... You're not expecting to sell them... To, you know, to see the price double tomorrow, but you're going to see a very steady demand on both of these cards for a long time to come. So you can snag these right now for about five bucks for the borderless, uh, dreams, Druid, maybe six. Um, if you go up the chain a little bit, but I mean, these could be 15 bucks in a year ish, a little over a year, year and a half, right? Like just because so many people are going to buy them and it, you don't have to sell every copy on the market for the price to move. Um, so that's, that's where I am on this guy. The other thing I would add to what you said is that um, it's selling like four to five copies a day. So you will you will get through a lot of copies at that rate. Um, you know, this is a, a great pick. I know that uh, you're right. I think somebody picked the, the FEA version a while ago. But it's good to remember that the non-foils of the Extended Arts are often overlooked and worth thinking about and worth picking up. Um Fun fact, the guy who uh, painted this, Sam Gway, no relation to Rebecca Gway. Hmm. I, I looked at this and oh, I'm like, yeah. this looks like Rebecca Gway art. Did, did she bat? And it's like, no, I, I literally just Google it up and they're, they're no relation. They He took a mentorship with an artist with his same last name, but is no relation at all. Oh, so he, he worked with her. Yes. But he's not related to that her. That is correct. Gotcha. Interesting. Uh, let's see. Do you want to do James's uh, pick from a distance, or do you want to do the reader pick? No, let's do James's. We'll start there. Okay. James wants everybody to know that uh, in about one to two months, you should be looking to pick up non-foil regular smothering tithe. Uh, he's forecasting it to reach about $18, 
and uh, it should follow a trend like Cyclonic Rift from Double Masters did last time, where it's super cheap, and then you can get it, and you should uh, enjoy the price while you can, because uh, we're about to see prices go down on a whole bunch of things. And so uh, he's saying that it might take a month or two to get there. We're going to talk more about uh, giving cards a chance to get cheap. But uh, like right now, um, Smothering Ties is pre-ordering above $20, more like $25. And so he's saying that in one to two months, you should be able to get this under $20. And that would be an excellent pickup for a card which... um, has reached highs as high as you know 40 some odd dollars uh at, at one point so uh keep that in mind uh i want to come back to talking about waiting for cards but i i think he's right this is going to be an excellent pickup when it gets cheap i'm just not sure about one to two months but we we will see about that okay we can we can return to that uh, but I, I mean, smothering tithe being good and, and worth picking up is is not a surprise to anybody, right? right? Like it's it's not really a question of like if smothering tithe will be good. It's just a question of like when is the right time to buy it. Precisely. And I think and I think identifying the price rather than the time frame is probably the best way to go for that. I agree. Uh, we're we're going to come back to like waiting on on your ideal prices. I'm going to talk about uh, our Discord member Mastodon who sent in. Uh, double feature foil for Moon Silver Key. Um, this is an uncommon out of double feature in the silver screen version. Um, there are not a lot of these on uh, TCG right now. Let me bring up exactly how many Moon Silver Key in double feature foil. Because I looked these up um, a little bit earlier, and yeah, there were exactly uh, 12 vendors. Uh, almost none of them have more than one copy except for the gaming company. They've got nine. Uh, our Mastodon said that this card is going to go from about 14 to about 30. It's already in 18,000 commander decks. And it searches up whatever uh, mana rock you would want. Uh, if you forgot what the card is, it's two mana. And it says one tap. Sacrifice it to search for an artifact card with a basic mana ability or a basic land reveal it, put it into your hand, and shuffle. So as long as your artifact has some kind of mana ability, you can go get it. So whether it's a Chromatic Ori to go enable your your five-color deck, if you want to go find your um, Dragon's Horde that lets you draw more cards for your dragons, your Hedron Archive, whatever it is, this will go find you the mana rock that you want. And given the combination of how many decks it's already in, plus uh, the small number of double feature foils out there. I think this is a solid pick to uh, increase going forward. This card is $15. Yeah. I got to do a double take when I saw this. This is three mana to search your library for an artifact with a mana ability. It's selling about one foil a day. Put it in your hand. Mm Mm-hmm. This card is fifteen dollars. In the double feature, who thinks this? Who thinks this card is good? It's good enough for like the the things that it's getting played along with. Uh, let me bring it up in EDH rec. Let's see. Like I'm looking at this and I'm going, this is this is like the card they put into a commander legend set to be part of the draft, but they don't expect people to play it outside of that format. That's what I think of when I see this. Well, 
Um, you know, apparently I'm wrong. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Um, it could also find uh, any art. It, it can be an artifact creature with a man ability too. So, you know, just it has a lot of synergies, and it's because, like you said, it's not obviously powerful. It's just solid. Um, you're going to see it in uh, a surprising number of decks. Sure, guys. Sure. Uh, 14 to 30. I don't know. I'm going to refrain from commenting on this because I wouldn't think this card would be $14 anyways, but apparently it is. So <laughs> <clears throat> if it's good, it's good. And remember, this is a, a card from the beginning of this year. Like this was that this that year was, that was, was that that double feature midnight huh was the was after uh, crimson vow oh but he, the silver screen version that's right yeah the the foil but the the midnight hot oh the midnight hot one is a dollar forty four yeah and then the silver screen is fifteen oh yeah mm, yeah all right I still don't think the card's good but I understand why people why the silver screen version is expensive then I've stopped asking they're, questions they're about how good the card is if people are buying it people are buying it that's that's good enough for me. I don't have to. I, yeah, I still don't think like old Gnawbone is that great as a as a giant dragon that deals damage. And I am somebody who has a well documented addiction to giant dragons. But like having to hit for that much uh, treasures, it's not terribly solid. And I feel the same way about the ancient dragons. I can't wait to play the ancient dragons. I haven't bought them yet, but like they are. Because they need to deal damage to get their cool effect going off, they are definitely not your ideal dragons. Well, so I think that there's a, a, a part of it is whether or not a card reads well. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, <clears throat> old Gnawbone reads well. Like, it, you read the card and you go, wow, I hit somebody for seven, I get seven treasure tokens. And that really does a lot to spark interest in the card. It doesn't matter if it was good. What matters is that people looked at it and went, wow, this is awesome. Uh, as opposed to this, which is interesting because I read this and it, it doesn't look like it does anything. It's like I'm paying three mana to go get a mana vault. Like, do I do I really care that much? It feels like a very competitive card, basically. Um, because I if I'm playing casual, I'm not wasting slots on, on something like this. Uh, regardless, so, I mean, I sort of agree with you. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, and I've talked about this in the past that, don't worry about being clever thinking you know better just worry about <laughs> following the market right. right like it's it's worth it's worth more to be to disagree with the market but do what they're doing because it makes you money than to feel like you're smarter than everybody else but you know not be making the right picks Travis um, everybody who's this everybody is, who's listening to this podcast is smarter than everyone else yeah well in th this is one of those cases where I'm going to look at this like you're right like I look at this and I understand why people play it I don't get it but if they're buying it then so be it and the silver screen versions are rare, and everything seems to be expensive there. So if it's that popular, then sure. I mean, at this point, it just sounds like anything that's a silver screen edition, um, people should be, if it's silver screen and playable, you should probably be picking them up because they might be too cheap. I have, uh, it took me several weeks to uh, beat this lesson into James's head because he was afraid of the gaming company opening a giant pallet and having 200 copies of something. It turns out they'd open a pallet and get 13 copies of an uncommon, so... Yeah, I mean, if that yeah, if that's the way the numbers work out, and uh, 
you know, you're not going to know that right off the bat, but that's fine. You, you know, when you learn that, you reassess and you make decisions based on that. Exactly. So, um, with uh, the complete uh, preview of Double Masters 2, uh, we wanted to talk a little bit about um, what the point is of a master set and waiting to buy cards. Because you've been out of it for a couple of months, uh, maybe more. You know, I'm being generous here. Um, it's been like it's like three or four months, right? Right. Three months. I, months. I have found over the last year or so that um, it used to be I would I would buy in when the next set came out. Right? That was usually when prices had gotten to their bottom. Everybody had been opening a card during F&M drafts and whatever. So then it was time to move on to the new thing. And I'm finding that now that's not the case. That I want to be waiting longer. And nowhere is this more obvious to me than the entire process of Double Masters 2. Because Double Masters 2 has one purpose. is to lower prices. All of these cards that are currently expensive are going to drop, and they're going to drop a lot. And like we talked about uh, Smothering Tithes with James, where um, right now, you know, copies of Smothering Tithe in April were, you know, nearly 50 bucks. And you can get it on pre-order for like 25. And you're thinking, oh my god, I'm saving, ha- I'm, I'm saving 50%, like I'm getting a steal on this card. But if you wait you will get an even better deal on the card. And I don't know how to make this clear to people without, like, going hoarse. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I mean, timing timing has always been the name of the game, right? Like, with something with any of these staple reprints, it's, a, it's not a question of, like, is it a good idea? It's a question of where do we find the floor and uh, will it rebound enough? So, yeah, I think... I think waiting for the next set was always a fine play. I don't think that was statistically the the best bet. I think for a long time it's been a couple months, like three to four months or something like that, were probably the the right delay on it. Um, so, but I agree that it's very easy to look at it, but it's very easy to look at a set like this and get very excited and see smothering ties that, you know, they were, I don't know, whatever, 50. And now they're, they're pre-selling for 25 or something like that. And you're like, Oh yeah, I got to get, get in on this because it's so good. Um, but it's like, Oh yeah, but this actually has a lot further to fall. I'll play a devil's advocate here and say, it's not uncommon for stuff like this to hit the shelves and for everyone to, everyone's waiting for, smothering tithe or whatever the smothering tithe is to to drop and then it doesn't because everyone is waiting for it and it turns out there's enough demand there that uh it never drops that much and that has a lot and and then it just rebounds and then you feel like you missed the floor and i think that has a lot to do though with the uh distribution of the product and that's part of the that's the hard part to nail down because a product that's getting a, a, a big distribution will really put some pressure on prices. But if it's not going to move, put that many sets into, into, into circulation, then it might actually be um, wise to move sooner rather than later because there's just not going to be a glut. Now, I don't know what the answer is for Double Masters too. Our Discord and some of the conversation online seems to imply that it's going to be relatively narrow uh i don't know if that's true or not i just know that that seems to be what i'm reading 
I would agree with that. That is that is in line. Like there's going to be a a big release and not a lot of uh, resupply, as opposed to something like Modern Horizons Two that has had draft booster boxes printed up until like last month. So like if you if you've been wondering why fetch lands have hit such a low point and have not even started to recover, I think that's why is because people are still opening this like Modern Horizons Two is a really fun format to uh, play unlimited and you open a lot of really valuable cards so like getting in your modern horizons 2 drafts and uh buying more draft booster boxes is going to put more fetch lands into play which is why you can still get a scalding tarn i think around 25 dollars is if i remember correctly let's see modern horizons 2 uh, around 28 dollars but it has like if you bring up a graph of the the modern horizons 2 version it just is slow, still trending downwards because we're still getting product added. And so that's an excellent point that how much product is out there is directly relevant to when the card starts spiking. So that's a that's a good thing to remember and a good thing to uh, keep an eye on. I agree with you that the uh, Pro Trader Discord has generally been saying we're not going to get a huge amount of Double Masters 2. There's going to be plenty around, but... Uh, second and third waves don't seem to be on the agenda okay i mean if if there's no if the, if the supply is that narrow on this then i think that it's okay to be a little more aggressive i also i also don't mind buying sort of down the curve um you know, n not worrying about not buying at the cheapest point possible because you know you're getting very close and close is good enough. But but at the same time, people definitely get ahead of themselves. Uh, and, and you're absolutely right that the point of these sets is to reduce prices and pull those numbers down. And we've seen them do it time and time again with a lot of different cards. A lot of these reprint sets have really brought prices down across tons of staples. There's no doubt that you know, if they hit that nail on the head enough times, that really works. They can make huge changes to card prices if they give it enough reprints. And you don't want to get in front, you know, jump in front of a moving train here and just get hit, you know, hit over and over and over again. So there's definitely something to be said for patience in a situation like this, uh, in these types of situations. And you also don't have to, at the same time, you also don't have to worry about, um, being getting it at the cheapest right not only can you buy it on the way down you can buy it on the way up you can let the card bottom out and then when it finally starts to tick up that can be the time where you decide to to to, to move in right like so the card got down to eight dollars and now it's 11 you can still buy it if it's that good and it's going to go to 20 or 25 bucks like you were totally fine because it means you got as close to the bottom as you reasonably could so i mean that's another way to go about it too and ultimately you can be more comfortable that you got close to the bottom uh instead of trying to buy the way down you're buying the way back up uh, you get some more feedback that the card is moving up which makes it feel better um so i i mean i i it is just, it's so easy though to get swept up in the excitement when you're watching this stuff get printed. You know what yes. I mean? Like, so I understand where it comes from. I understand because too. Because you're like, oh, smothering tides are cheap. Like, now's the time to buy it. Like, I, I told you the, the counterspell story last week about, like, oh my God, I got these counterspells for like super cheap. I can't understand what's going on. Like, no, no, it, it, it's going to be cheap. And mm -hmm. um, the, the worst offender, I think, here is probably Imperial Seal. 
where the pre-orders for this card, uh, there are eight people on TCG Player in the last uh, two weeks who have paid $300 or more for a pre-sale of a regular non-foil Mythic. Hmm. And, like, we're not talking, you know, uh, the, the borderless alternate art craziness. We're talking the regular version just because it feels like it feels like stealing if the re- the um the judge promo is around $500 and the portal 3 kingdoms version is you know 1700 it's like this card it's available for 300 that's $200 less than the judge foil that's you know $1300 less than the the P3K version like what I'm losing money if I don't buy this but you're mm-hmm. you're going to be able to get this card for a lot less, and I, I agree with you that trying to find the precise floor is not really important. Uh, you you can go, uh, you can make yourself crazy like reloading a tab with it. Like, is it now? Is it now? Is it now? Is it now? And just you're gonna, you know, down that path lies madness. It's just like if you check all of your specs every single day, you're gonna lose your mind. So just being yeah. being able to be patient and give yourself the the flexibility to say, "You know what? I'm going to I'm going to wait and I'm going to not get in on the initial feeding frenzy hype." Um yes, we missed on Ledger Shredder in terms of like buying in early if you had pre-ordered the card for a dollar or less, you've made out like a bandit, but almost every other pre-order is a bad idea. So like I, I, if there's one thing I, I've I've said this in multiple things I've written, is that if there's one thing I could get people to stop doing, it's pre-ordering fucking cards. Don't do it. You're just <laughs> gonna lose money on it. I understand the impulse, like, um, to to buy a card immediately when it comes out because you're gonna put it into a deck. But uh, let me give you an example of a card i recently bought that um has not turned out well at all where let's see i bought for uh my ur dragon deck i bought a foil borderless ebendeth jackolich right it's a mythic out of adventures for the gotten realms i got it for around 20 dollars, and if i had right now it's going for 12 and i've already taken it out of the deck so like <laughs> Buying in early for your personal copies, I understand it. I am not going to say that is a bad idea. I'm going to say that I frequently have regret about this. Like, oh, if I'd waited a little longer, it would have been that much cheaper. And, like, I would have known that I was going to take the card back out. So, a moment of patience will go a long way for a lot of these. I do kind of wonder, like, I I, I do try and remember that when you're talking about people and their... um buying these pre-orders at ludicrous prices that some people are rich (laughs) like which seems like a really obvious like a dumb thing to say but like some people are really have a lot of money and don't care like that's true like oh i wanted an imperial seal uh like i didn't want to pay 800 dollars for it which is kind of a weird thing for a rich person to say but like just see it show up and they go this is what i was waiting for maybe i like the art i forgot it existed whatever and then they go and they buy it 
because it's there and they don't really worry that much about the price. I also know a lot of people who are very, uh, who make very different decisions about money than I make um, and think about these things differently than I do. They see an Imperial seal go on sale for pre-order. It's cheaper than it was and they want it. So they go pre-order it. And that's kind of the whole decision-making process. And they don't worry about the, the fine grain details. So, I mean, it, you know, it's awkward for, to think about because as part of this podcast, we obviously care a lot about that type of thing. But like, I know those couple of people who have ordered Imperial Seal, I just have to remember, like, there are people out there who are going to make decisions different than what I make. And like, <clears throat> I mean, if there's someone thinking they're getting a deal and they're trying to do this because they think it's the right time to buy, that's one thing. But it might just be people who pick a reason why want it right now. And that's kind of what happens. That's true. There is there is a whole lot of like, I have to have it right now. I've I've wanted it before. I've tried to be patient for it, but it's available and I want it. You know, that's that's a there's a whole field of psychology around, you know, the the fear of missing out. Like you you have to have it, especially because you don't think about the 38 out of 40 mythics that dropped in price. You're thinking about the ones that went up in price. Oh, yeah, that for sure, too, right? It's so easy to forget, like, oh, well, the, you know, the this one went up after it was reprinted and be like, yeah, but like the other 39 in that set didn't. And like, unless you think you picked the one, you should wait. Yes. Uh, and like, hey, you probably didn't pick the one that isn't. But, uh, you know, at the same time, like, yeah. So so I, I do agree that, that patience is necessary and it's easy to get to lose sight of that. Um, and there's a lot of ways to sort of facil- try and facilitate that, I guess, to soothe that concern, if that makes right. sense. And that, that's part of what we're, we're here to help people with is to, you know, take a breath and remember that um, as people open double masters, you know, all of these prices are going to go down. You know, we're not going to suddenly discover a new card. All of these are reprints and known cards. You know, none of, there's no new interactions here everything that is already popular in uh on edh rec unless it's something like imperial seal which and because like that supply is really constrained a lot of people can't put it in their deck um we have a, a lot of just you know people who want to put this card in and they can't so they don't have a chance to buy it until now and um like james said smothering tithe down to 18 dollars. it's going to be a rare you're going to get two of those per pack um even with double the rares your odds are pretty good and we are going to open a massive amount of double masters too so if if the inventory is there if the inventory is there it, it could be that the inventory like goes out completely uh they don't currently have plans to do a second wave is what um, the indicators are that we've gotten from people who have distributors. But, you know, I mean, Wizards has made all kinds of terrible decisions over the years. Reprinting Double Masters 2 uh, for a wave might not seem like a bad one. What was the... Um, this would have been four or five years ago. There was a Masters set that was in the summer. And then they, like, said they're going to do an extra wave around Christmas time. And then all the prices just like dropped like rocks on the announcement, and the wave was that EMA. Was that Eternal Masters? I think the Eternal Masters sounds right. 
So they, they did something like that and um, prices went even further down. But if, and that's something else that, that could happen, you know, we, if they sell a whole lot of it, especially compared to something that doesn't sell well, like uh, Commander Legends 2, the battle for Baldur's Gate. You know, now the distributors are like, please make some more of this. We will give you a bunch of money. You know, they do love money, but they're also having a lot of printing issues. So I don't know how realistic it is for them to actually do reprints. Like, they, they just announced that the uh, all the Warhammer stuff is delayed. So, mm. um, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I presume that independent of all of their desires that uh independent of their desires they probably cannot print more dxm2 right like that seems like a very likely scenario that does that seem likely yes they printed this to try and get you know to crush prices but like if they can't get to the printer uh because it's so backed up and they're having all their other product back up i guess that is a good that that's a counterpoint that needs to be remembered here and when we talk about supply and what have you is i mean the supply supply chain obviously across the world and all these different markets is is nutty right now and like yeah they print these master sets to really try and suppress the prices and you got to remember that so you don't burn yourself but we also know that they're having a hell of a time getting stuff printed and they've had multiple products that have been delayed now and uh we've talked about before like once they once something leaves a printer like that it's probably gone like they're not going to be in a rush to get it back because as a business they have to keep moving forward um you know they they don't want to lose more printing time going back to reprint that stuff they'd rather just let it end up being a sort of a now a, a casualty of the supply chain and moving on to the next product, right? The hype cycle has to keep moving. So it is entirely possible that they set out to print a ton of DXM2 and the supply chain is just not going to let them and that's just going to be it. And maybe it is uh, reasonable to go after these a little sooner than you would think because there's just not going to be enough out there. So in five minutes or less, (laughs) do you have any tips for how to figure out if something has hit the bottom or would you be more content to say i like so smothering tithe right james said 18 dollars. if you pick a price and you say i'm gonna buy at this price are you gonna be content there or do you want to let the the market help you decide on that i mean it's actually pretty easy uh if you are dedicated you just stare at tcg player every day and you check what's the lowest copy and which direction did the price move. And you try and make sure that, you know, you don't get ahead of yourself. If it goes up a little bit one day or down a little bit one day, that's not a data point. You know, you have to give it probably a week of consistent movement before you consider that a, an indicator. But I mean, really, you just have to show up and stare at the page every day for weeks and possibly months to figure out what it's going to to figure out where it's going. And then if you're that dedicated, you will see where it goes. Uh, that of course the hard part is, you know, that's, that's annoying. Um, it takes time. And especially if you get a list of cards that you're trying to watch, I mean, you could spend, you know, if you're a particularly organized person, you can put together a little spreadsheet with your 
some the cards and when you started watching them and what number you're looking for and some rough pricing information about trajectories. And then every day at work, you take 20 minutes or whatever and you scroll through and you check them all and you start to build that that muscle memory of what the prices are. Uh, and then that way, when you start to see changes, you recognize them because you've been looking at the same card over and over again. So you're more in tune with them and can feel like you're, you're at the point where when there's an actual sea change in the card value, you can identify it. Uh, it's not hard. It just requires legwork. It just requires, st- you know, going back to that well every day or every several days and keeping an eye on it. Um, no, no special tricks required, but like I said, that requires the time and effort, which I I have only done that a couple times with a few cards because I was very interested in where they were going and I wanted to keep a close eye on them, but it was certainly not something I did with any regularity. Uh, I should have, but I didn't. And I think it's very easy to not do that and to kind of forget. So like anything else, it's not necessarily hard. It just requires dedication. Okay. Um, I think the the last point I would make is I'm going to go back in... Um... I said it at the the top of this uh, segment that uh, we need to be more patient, but thinking about distributor issues and thinking about the frenzy that people have, like we didn't spend a lot of money on Commander Legends Baldur's Gate, but people are about to drop a lot of money because there's you know there's just been some secret layers to go on. Like there's going to be a lot of movement very soon, and I just don't want people to get too caught up in the frenzy and the the, the fear of missing out, like if you see that like smothering tithe, to go back to this example, if it's 25 right now and it drops to 20 the first weekend and there aren't, nobody wants to sell a smothering tithe under 20, then yeah, that's going to be where it's at. You know, the, the market, once, once a certain level of price memory kicks in, it doesn't matter, you know, how much a card is. If you, it doesn't matter what you think a card should be. It just matters whether people believe it or not. And so I, I think that six months is where I want to be on standard sets, but maybe on master sets, I don't want necessarily want to be there, especially if we're not going to have uh, resupply waves coming in. That's that's a big deal. That's a, that's a really good point, and I want to keep that in mind when I'm making my plans for double masters too. Well, there's a, another big factor, another factor here, which is that uh, it depends on the type of card too, because I think something like a smothering tithe is going to be extremely resilient, um, which sounds again like a like a dumb thing to say, but it's gonna there's that like there's a price memory on on format staples that are going to lead to a a smaller drop and a faster bounce, not necessarily because the demand and desire is there. Uh, like the, 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 the expectation of the card ends up being a very important factor. So that can play into how resilient a card is uh, and how fast it turns around. So, you know, Smothering Tithe is, is at the top of the list there. I would expect that to be one of the fastest rebounds because that's what people are expecting. Uh, the card has that identity, so they're, people aren't gonna aren't gonna expect that to bottom out all that far. Okay, I uh, I'm with you on that. The this got a lot more complicated than I thought it was going to be. I thought it was just, we were just gonna be able to tell people to to hang out and wait, but it turns out that you know upon reflection, there's a lot to go on and i just i don't want people to get burned on the pre-orders man like these these people who are dropping 
$200 on <clears throat> Imperial Seals that are going to be a lot less. Like, I would be surprised if they stayed over $100. Well, don't buy pre-orders remains a good piece of advice. It is a good piece of advice. But also, you know, be be, be, be patient and uh, try not to get caught up in the wave because you're very likely to um, overpay if you're letting uh, fear decide your buying decisions for you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, something I, I brought up a couple of times in the past was there's always another opportunity around the corner. Yeah. Uh, so like, don't feel like you have to rush into everything. Yep. Like, um, an example, of this would be the secret layers. If you mm-hmm. don't want to get in on a particular secret layer buy, don't, if none of them strike you as worth putting in money at fantastic, uh, avoid that. You know, don't if you don't believe in something, then you like I, I don't want to miss out on a secret layer. Well, that that's okay. That's perfectly valid to not buy the secret layer if you don't like it, if you don't think it's relevant, you don't think it's good. Yep. Uh, Anything you want okay. to add or no? Okay. I don't think so. I feel like we've covered our bases pretty well enough. Well, then that's a wrap for this week, folks. Uh, where can people find you, Travis? Oh. You forgot, Cliff. You forgot the bumper, the segment. No, too. I did that. Oh, you said that. Wow, I just totally. Look, just out. because Holy you crap. don't listen to me doesn't mean I don't do the things I'm supposed to do. It's. I stop and I start looking at some of the cards that we're about to talk about because I want to have to, to like make sure I've seen them recently, and then I just it's just, <laughs> just stay on the ability to listen accurately. Don't worry, I it's nothing personal. I never listen to James. It's either. okay. Uh, <laughs> I am on Twitter at WizardBumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. How about you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Word of Commander, as well as my Friday articles on MTGPrice.com. I would also like to remind our listeners to check out the MTGPrice.com Pro Trader service. For just $9.99 a month or $109.99 per year, you get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, low-cost group buys, and a super active Discord that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Uh, I have enjoyed our conversation again this evening. Cliff, now if I... is, Are you off next week? Uh, the next two weeks, I am off. I'm uh, taking the kids to visit the grandparents, and uh, podcasting from their house is not really on the table. Okay, so next week you're off and, and James. It's is you here. and James, okay. yes. The uh, the okay. Butch and Sundance are back again. Mm, that is a reference that everyone will get. <laughs> we referenced Kung Fu at the top of the show, buddy, so if I can't close it with a Butch Casting and Sundance Kid reference, you know, I, I just, I am who I am. Fair enough. It's your show now. You can do whatever you want. All right, Cliff, it was a good time, and uh, enjoy your trip with your parents, and I was glad to be back on the cast with you Thank again. you, Travis, and we'll see everybody next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance.